So I remember I was in college, and I was in a discipleship group, a small group with a bunch of, you know, freshmen and sophomore guys, and we were being led by the chaplain at our school. Now, the chaplain at our school, it was a school in Pittsburgh, and um, the chaplain at our school, he was about 6'6", about 380. Um, He was an African-American pastor in the area, and his name was Tim. And uh, we always, you know, called him Tim. Everybody, when I went to visit his church the one day, everyone called him Brother Timothy. And it was, you know, he was this guy. He had this really just deep voice. And he would talk really slow. And I remember we were sitting there, and we were talking about we were all supposed to have read through a book of the Bible. Um, and, and, you know, we came together. And, uh, we're, you know, we're talking like, hey, did everybody read it? And I, I hadn't read it, Okay. And there was another guy who hadn't read it. And so when it was my turn to say, hey, like, did you read it? And I was like, yeah, for the most part, like, I read it. And I, I was not a very good move. And so the guy next to me, you know, he was like, I didn't read it at all. And I was, I was blown away. I thought, man, how could you admit that to everybody? Like, and Tim looks at him and he goes, isn't it just great? Just the grace that God has for us when we don't read the Bible. And I sat there and I thought, wait a minute, what do you mean the grace that God has for us when we don't read the Bible? Because here's the thing, I grew up in, in a church context where that, that's sinful to not read the Bible. And I sat there and I didn't hear anything else that was going on for the rest of the night. And afterwards I went to Tim, I said, hey Tim, I said, I gotta ask you, I said, what do you mean that God has grace for us when we don't read the Bible? I said, isn't that like a horrible sin? He said, well, you did lie about reading the Bible, Josh. (laughs) And I said, yeah, but I was like, and he said, here's the thing. He said, Josh, he said, God has so much grace for you. He said, he has so much grace for me. He said, it's unbelievable. You can't even fathom how much grace he has for you. And he said, but you won't understand how much grace God has for you until you hit the moments that are the hardest. Now, at this point in my life, I'm 18, and I I thought, you mean the hardest? But I have never forgotten that moment. That instead instead of like scolding us, you know, he knew that I hadn't read any of it, and he didn't say anything in front of the group. Instead of scolding this other kid for saying he didn't read, he just said, man, God has so much grace for you. And then at the very end of this, he said, Josh, he said, don't forget this. He said, God just loves to be with you. He just loves to be with his kids. Now, here's why I've not forgotten that. That was a monumental conversation in my life. And and, and over the years, as I've looked back at, at difficult moments And I've wondered, you know, maybe you've wondered the same thing. Where is God in this difficult moment? Like when I mess up, like when I lie, when I I make a commitment that I don't keep. Because all of us will will start stuff, all of us will make commitments that we don't keep. And we wonder, is God going to be faithful to me? when, when When we carry relational scars, we wonder, why didn't God stop that? Why doesn't God do something about that? Maybe you've wondered, you know, can God forgive that? You know, every week we take communion and maybe you come to communion and you wonder, can I actually take communion this week? Does God actually forgive the things that I did? 
Like Tanya just read, will God be faithful if I'm completely faithless? And we wonder that. We wonder that. But as Timothy gets this letter, as we've been walking through this letter, here, I want you to picture this, okay? We've tried to picture this each week as we talk about this idea of winning at life. And Paul's definition of winning at life is one that we don't really have. Winning at life for us is about our finances going up and to the right, about our career going well, about all the test results coming back from the doctor, exactly how we want them to be. Winning at life is all of our relationships going well. That's winning at life. Right? When you meet with your small group and, and if they were to say, hey, what's winning at life? You're not going to say, you know what, that nothing goes my way. You're not going to say that. But the problem is, is that most of us, and this is why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, most of us don't feel like we're winning at life, and it's because we have the wrong definition of winning at life. See, for me, in that group setting, winning at life and being a good Christian was being able to come in and say, I did the homework. And Tim sat there and wanted me to know that winning at life and being a good Christian meant that I just spent time with God. And I knew that God loved and enjoyed me being in his presence. Those are two drastically different ways of following Jesus. And most of us are really good at the rules. Most of us are really good at the rules. But Paul writes to Timothy, and and we've said this every week because this is really important. When Paul defines what winning a life is, he does it at the end of this book. Now picture this. Paul's sitting in a jail cell. He's facing death. He's an older guy. He's lived his life. He's mostly alone. We looked at last week how he lists out, he even lists out the people who abandoned him. Right? And maybe you're in a place where, where last week just really resonated with you and you go, yeah, like I have been abandoned. I have been betrayed by people. I have been lied to. I have been left to the side. I have been excluded. And Paul says all these things. He says, I know. I know what it feels like. He even lists out two people. He says, these guys totally deserted me. But then at the end of chapter four, this is the key verse of 2 Timothy. This is what winning a life is. He says that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race I have kept the faith. Imagine being able to get to the end of your life and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Now, when you finish a race, I, I hate to run. I, I, hate to, I absolutely hate to run. I have a son who's an incredible runner. You know, he r- runs a mile in five and a half minutes, and I'm blown away at every time. But when you watch people at the end of the race, I mean, what, what do you do? Do you ever see a runner go across the finish line, and, and they're just going, I have so much energy left after that. No, we were at a track meet the other night. I mean, and it's just like kids are like, like this. I mean, they're just like breathing heavy. They're dying. I mean, you see people at the end as they're on the straightaway, and they're just like throwing everything they have, and you just see tears in kids' eyes as they're just throwing everything they have, and they're trying to get to the end. And Paul, at the end of his life, says, I have run the race. Now, at the end of our lives to run the race, we're not going to just blow through the finish line. No, we are going to have thrown everything we have at it. He says, I have run the race. I have kept the faith. Imagine, imagine being able to get to the end of your life when you have walked through adversity and difficulty and unanswered prayer and answered prayer and people who have deserted you and people, other people who have walked out of your life and saying, I held on to Jesus. That 
is a different way of following Jesus than I really hope God doesn't find out that I didn't read my Bible today. Do you see the difference? It's a huge difference. And when Paul writes to Timothy, what he's doing in every single verse leading up to chapter four is he's saying, Timothy, these are all the things that it's going to take for you to run your race. You're gonna have to figure out how you run your race when people say that they will finish the race with you and they don't. You will have to figure out how to run your race when it gets really, really hard. You will have to figure out how to run your race when it is the dark night of the soul. You will have to figure out how to keep your faith when it is that you're just not even sure what you're holding on to anymore. When you're sitting in the doctor's office and they say, there isn't anything left that we can do. How do you hold on to your faith then? When you watch a spouse or a parent walk out of your life, when you watch a child not turn out the way that you hope to, how do you hold on to your faith and say, God, you are still good and I will keep the faith? Because all of these moments are moments that so many of us get off the ride of life and say, I'm just done. And we just say, I'm done holding on to this faith. I'm done fighting this fight. What's the point? You, you sit with people in your life and you say, what's the point of following Jesus? I mean, we could look at Paul and say, Paul, you're sitting in a jail cell. You're facing death. Like, is this really where you want to be? Because in this moment, all he had to do was deny Jesus, and he could have walked out of the jail cell. And so he says, Timothy, there's going to come a moment where you are sitting alone. Okay, Paul's life is a picture for us. Okay, this is something that shouldn't surprise us when we follow Jesus because we think following Jesus is gonna be roses, it's gonna be amazing, it's gonna be just like so easy and just a smooth pass. And here's Paul in a jail cell saying, this is what sometimes ends up following Jesus looks like. And so he says to Timothy, you therefore my son, and he calls him my son over and over in First and Second Timothy. And I love that he does that because Timothy, we don't really know anything about Timothy's dad. We know that his faith was passed on to him from his mother and grandmother. Timothy, Paul calls him his son in the faith. And he says, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so he says, Timothy, be strong in what? He doesn't say be strong in your faith, be strong in your risk, Be strong in obedience. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, be strong in grace. Okay? The foundation of the Christian life is not obedience. It is grace. The thing that holds you as a follower of Jesus is grace. He says, Timothy, be strong in the grace. Okay? This is what Tim was trying to get me to see. (laughs) Tim was trying to get me to see that God is just a God of grace, not a God of rules. When he says, Josh, God just loves to be with you, he was saying, God God just has so much grace for you. I think it's interesting. Paul could have said to Timothy, be strong in anything. He could have said, be strong in prayer, be strong in the reading of scripture, be strong in your generosity, be strong in obedience, be strong in keeping the rules. What does he say? Be strong in grace. Why? And this is why we take communion every week, because we have to remind ourselves of the grace that God extends to us because we forget. You and I forget. We forget. He says, be strong. And then he gives him three images of what it looks like to be strong in grace, three images of what it looks like to follow Jesus to finish your your race. 
He says the first image is this, that we are to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. And so he says his first image of what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to keep the faith, to run the race, to to fight the good fight of faith is to be a soldier. So he says following Jesus will feel like and be like being a soldier. And soldiers put everything on the line. Soldiers aren't half in, okay? You never meet a soldier. Tucson was was an Air Force city. We had a huge Air Force base. You never met a soldier who was like, I'm kind of a soldier. They're all in. They're always a soldier. I mean, they would show, they always had, they always had, you know, their uniforms on. They always showed up. You could always tell every single time you'd walk into a room in Tucson where there's all kinds of Air Force people, you could always tell who the Air Force people were. Even the retired Air Force people, they still had the same haircut. Like you could always just tell. They carried themselves the same way. They all stood up straight. Like they never stopped being a soldier. And so Paul says, Timothy, being a follower of Jesus will be like a soldier. It doesn't turn off and on. Being a soldier means a willingness to suffer, a willingness to lay it on the line, a willingness to sacrifice everything for what you believe in. And Paul says the same will be true of following Jesus. If you want to run your race and get to the end of your life and say, I have run the race, I have kept the faith, then it will mean having a willingness to suffer, a willingness to lay it on the line, a willingness to do whatever God says to say yes. See, a soldier has made the decision to say yes before the order has been given. And how many times in our lives do we go to God and say, okay, God, like if you could do this, like I'll do anything for you. Well, no, if you said yes to Jesus, then you would do anything for him anyway, so it doesn't matter what he does to answer your prayer. Or how many times have you like gotten to a crossroads and you're like, I know God is calling me to go this way, and you're like, but... No, no, no. Paul says following Jesus means that the moment the Spirit says move, you get up. Now, Is that because you're stronger than somebody else? No, it's because you understand the grace that God has for you. That's why he starts with, be strong in the grace. Not be strong in the faith, not be strong in obedience, not be strong in risk, be strong in grace. Because grace will carry you. Grace will save you and grace will hold you in Jesus. He says, a soldier has already said yes. See, and the reality is in America today, very few of us will die for our faith. Very few of us will die for our faith. If you prayed at work this past week, you probably weren't afraid that you were going to pray and get shot in the head because you prayed at work. You may be more embarrassed about it. You may be prayed with your eyes open so no one knew what you were doing. But most of us don't wake up every day and go, I wonder if I'll die for being a Christian. When Paul wrote this to Timothy, he's sitting there getting ready to die for following Jesus. he says, a soldier is always a soldier, just like a Christian is always a Christian. You don't just turn it off. You don't say, well, it's Sunday, so I'm a Christian today. No, a Christian is always, and he says, and they don't get, they don't get caught up in the concerns of the civilian life, he says. A 
soldier doesn't get caught up in the concerns of other people. In the same way, a follower of Jesus has concerns that are different from everybody else. The next one, he says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So the first picture is this picture of a soldier. The next one is the picture of an athlete. And the Greek word to compete here also means to contest, to wrestle, to struggle, okay? So if following Jesus for you has ever felt like contesting, wrestling, and struggling, you are on the right path, okay? But often when we think, okay, I'm wrestling, this is hard, this is difficult, I must have done something wrong. No, you're just following Jesus. And he says they've competed according to the rules. See, an athlete is someone that, yes, has a ton of talent and a ton of gifts, but what separates them, what helps them to succeed is also determination and willpower. They, they sacrifice their bodies. They, they work out. They eat right. The discipline to sleep well. Instead of going out with their friends, you know, they're getting 12 hours of sleep and, and, and cold plunging and sitting in saunas and watching what they're eating. An athlete's life revolves around their sport. Okay? No one makes it to the pros and says, this is just a hobby. But for some of us, following Jesus is just a hobby. It's something we do on the weekends. But he says an athlete's life revolves around their sport in the same way that a follower's of Jesus' life revolves around Jesus. And in Paul's day, every athlete, when they got to the Olympics, had to take an oath that they had fulfilled the necessary 10 months of training before they were permitted to enter the contest. Now, you might wonder, well, what if somebody lied, okay? What if someone got there and said, hey, I did my 10 months of training, just so you know, like, I'm ready to compete. Here's the thing about being an athlete, okay? So, I, I was talking to a guy at, our, at the gym I go to. He's a professional strongman, and, you know, that's basically his job. And one day we were talking, and he said, Josh, he said, just so you know, the bar never lies, so we mean the bar never lies. He said people come in and say, man, you know, when I was in high school, like when I was in college, I could squat 700 pounds. He's like, and then they get on and they can squat 450. He's like, you can come in and say, man, like I bet, I bet you I could deadlift 800 pounds. And he's like, but whatever you put on the bar and whatever you can pick up, that's what you can pick up. He said the bar doesn't lie. In the same way, if you showed up at a marathon and you're like, hey, like, I totally did the training. We'll know. We'll know. It may not be a mile one, but we'll know. Right? When you hike, if you hike, I remember when we lived in Arizona and we'd hike the Grand Canyon. Like, you had to train for that. You didn't just wake up and go, today I'm going to go rim to rim on the Grand Canyon. You just can't do that. No, in the same way, that here's the thing, and, and, and this is what's so important about athletes, and this is how it translates to being a follower of Jesus. Most of what we see athletes do, that's about 2% of being an athlete. Most of following Jesus and developing our faith and living in the grace of Jesus will be done in secret. No one will know. I remember something happened the other day, and I said to Katie, I was like, yeah, you know, so I just did this. And she's like, well, that's just something else. No one will ever know you did. And at first I was like, well, someone should know. That was pretty great that I did that. Like, but then as I thought about it, and I thought, that's really what following Jesus is. Most people just don't know. They don't know how much you pray. They don't know how much you read your Bible. They don't know how much you give. They don't know how much you serve. 
They don't know what you sacrifice. Now we want people to know. I mean, there's a human part of us that are like, we want you to know. But in the same way that most of being an athlete is hidden, most of being a follower of Jesus will be hidden. Now I would love to tell you that you're going to do something great for God and everybody's going to know about it and they're going to write books about it. But the reality is, is that most of us are simply just going to be faithful every day and the only people who will know or feel our faithfulness are the people closest to us. And this is why Paul tells us the very next image is a farmer. He says, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. A farmer works long, hard hours in the cold, the heat, the rain, the drought. The work is not convenient. The farmer doesn't get to decide when to plant. They don't get to wake up and go, you know what? Like, I just don't feel like pulling weeds today. Because if they don't pull weeds today, there's a lot more tomorrow. But the farmer also doesn't know when it's going to rain. They don't know when it's going to be dry. Most of what a farmer does is very mundane and ordinary. It's mostly thankless. In the same way, most of following Jesus is mundane and ordinary. That's what it is. Following Jesus, being, being a parent who passes on their faith, is going to be mundane and ordinary. Yes, I would love to tell you that you're going to feel like the heavens part as you put your child to bed and pray and sing over them, and maybe, maybe you'll have one of those nights. But most of passing on your faith to your kids is going to be just sitting there, is going to be trying to be faithful in front of them, going to be apologizing to them and asking for their forgiveness. Most of being a follower of Jesus is just going to be mundane, and no one's going to know. Just like no one knows if the farmer went out to pull weeds. Nobody knows. You can look at a field and have no idea, are there any seeds in that field? But the farmer knows. The farmer knows. And here's why these three images are important, okay? One, often we don't know what it's like, what it even looks like to follow Jesus. Like, what does it look like to be faithful to Jesus? Now, some of us, we love the idea of being a soldier. You're like, I want to die for my faith. Like, I want to be a strong soldier for Christ. Like, I'm going to get a tattoo of it. And some of you are like, man, I don't want to die for my faith. Like, like, that sounds really hard. I want to sleep in a bed. See, each of us will gravitate towards a different image. But Paul says all three of these together show us the life in Christ. That there is the soldier. The soldier endures. The athlete is disciplined and is dedicated. And the farmer perseveres. Now, Following Jesus will mean endurance, dedication, perseverance, and discipline. That's what it'll take. 
So when faith requires you to endure, Paul says, don't be surprised. When faith requires you to be dedicated and disciplined, Paul says, don't run scared. And when faith requires perseverance, Paul says, don't quit. When you sit there and say, but this is so mundane. I'm just pulling weeds. I'm, that's all I'm doing. I'm just getting, I'm just cleaning out the barn. Paul says all those things matter. They matter. Just like for this weekend as our students are at camp. It's easy. I was talking to some of the leaders. It's easy to think, man, like I'm going to lose sleep. You know, we're going to be up at like 1 a.m. But I looked at the leaders on Friday and I said, listen, every conversation you have this weekend, these students will remember long, long time away. When they're in their 40s, they'll remember. So don't ever, 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 ever underestimate the ordinary and mundane acts of faith. And so Paul tells us then why we, why we should do this. He doesn't, he doesn't just, like it's easy to read these verses and go, okay, like these are motivational verses. Okay, I'm gonna go be an athlete. I'm gonna go be a soldier. I'm gonna go be a farmer. And he says, we do this. Look at verse eight. Let me just read verse 8 to 13. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel. So this is when it gets hard, Timothy. Remember the grace of Jesus empowers you. Remember Jesus raised from the dead, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect so that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul says, everything that we do, every action and reaction that we make has the potential to help somebody else obtain salvation, okay? So the people in your home, at your work, at your school, they are watching how you live. They're watching how you respond. He says, this saying is trustworthy. And a lot of historians believe that these verses 11 to 13 were, were, were a creed or a song in the early church. He said, the saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so Paul says, Timothy, if we don't quit, if we endure, we will one day reign with Jesus. See, a lot of us just are focused on today. A lot of us really do not have an eternal perspective of life and our actions. But the people who have an eternal perspective who see and look forward to that day live differently. They live differently. And he says... If we died with him, if we, if we walk the process of saying yes to Jesus and, and we walk the process of dying with him and living with him, if we endure, we reign with him. But then he says, if we deny him, he will deny us. If we deny Christ, if we say no to his offer of salvation, then we don't know him. We don't know him. See, because here's the thing. Everybody doesn't follow Jesus. Okay? And, and, and notice it doesn't say 
if God denies us, we'll deny him. No, 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 if we deny him, he'll deny us. But then he says, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. You might wonder, okay, so how does that fit together? Like if we deny him, he denies us, but if we're faithless, he, you know, remains faithful. How does that? Because he says he cannot deny himself. The moment that you and I become followers of Jesus, this is so important. This is such a huge part of Paul's teaching in all his letters, okay? The moment you and I become followers of Jesus, we become in Christ, Okay, so this means the moment that you say yes to Jesus, when God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. Okay, and as Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, when you and I pray, Jesus is interceding on our behalf and says, God, says, Father, this is ours. Okay, we share in the sufferings, we share in the blessings. You and I as followers of Jesus, sons and daughters of God, we have the same inheritance and blessing and relationship with the Father that Jesus does. That's what it means when Paul says he cannot deny himself. Why? Because we have, we have attached with Jesus. And here's the thing, and this, this hopefully should be an encouragement, and this will help us prepare for communion. When he says, if we are faithless, I'm so thankful that Paul says this because there will come a moment in your Christian life where you don't feel like you have any faith left. There will come a moment where you sit there at your kitchen table, you lay in your bed and you wonder, I can't even pray right now. And Paul says, at that moment, he is faithful. Why? Because you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Just like the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, if they waver, if they struggle, if they say, This is hard. I remember talking to one of our kids, and he was dealing with an injury, and he's like, I just want to quit. And I'm like, do you want to quit because it hurts? And he's like, yeah. And I said, this is part of being an athlete. And Paul would say in the same way, it hurts. It's painful. It's part of faith. And so here's how I want us to close as we prepare to take communion together. Paul tells us in verse 11, this is so important. I, I love these verses. He says, for if we died with him, we also live with him. This is what we remember when we take communion. But also, he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And maybe for you, I want you to use these images of the farmer, the athlete, and the, and the soldier. That maybe for you right now, God is calling you to endure. He's calling you to persevere. He's calling you to do the ordinary mundane acts of faith that nobody sees. And you're tired. You're tired. You're wondering if it's worth it. You're wondering, does it even matter? Does it matter if I have integrity at work? Does it matter if I have integrity at home? Does it matter if I'm faithful? Does it matter if I do this? And you're struggling, and, and that's the real thing. And Paul says that is the moment that when we struggle to have faith and believe that he is faithful.
And so these images are not ones to make us feel guilty. This is why Paul says, be strong in grace. (laughs) He says, be strong in grace because when we fail, when we don't live up to these things, he is faithful. Do you see how he bookends this passage? Because it's easy to read these passages and go, okay, like I'm gonna pull myself up, I'm gonna be a soldier, I'm gonna be an athlete. And he says, no, 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 just be strong in grace. And so when we come to take communion, when we take out the bread and the cup, this is what we're saying. God, help me to be strong in grace. Because as we take these things and we remind ourselves that once we were broken, once we were lost, once we were living in a spot where we were denying God, So I want to encourage you to just take a moment, whether you're here in the room or at home, if there's something you need to bring before God, to just say, God, this is what I need to bring to you before I take communion. There's an area of your heart that you just need to take a moment to confess. And then I'll pray and then we'll take communion together. Father, I thank you that when we fail, when we struggle to trust you, when we struggle to believe you, when we struggle with faith in our faithfulness, I thank you that you are faithful. And God, I pray for those of us who just need to be encouraged today and just reminded of your faithfulness. For those of us who need to be reminded that the small acts of faith and the small acts of living out our lives of faith in the daily moments matters. God, I pray that you would deepen our faith. Some of us need to have our faith deepened to be the soldier, to say we will endure, to, to be a follower of Jesus all of the time instead of half of the time. And so we confess there are moments when it's easier to just be a weekend Christian than an everyday one. And I thank you that as Paul wrote these to Timothy, he didn't, he didn't say be strong in your faith, be strong in your obedience. He said be strong in grace. Because God, you are gracious. You are faithful. And so as we remind ourselves of our need for you, even as followers of Jesus, we need you every single day to strengthen us, to give us endurance in your name.